All right, so we are in week two of Creed, and just like uh, the boxing gloves that I showed you a few minutes ago, you know, I get tired of seeing people living their faith and just feel like they're being beat up. Feel like they're being beat up by the world, especially young people. I mean, obviously, we've got lots of different age ranges of youth in our own house, and, and to, to see what they face every day. Uh, I, and I'm gonna be honest, if I had access to the things that they have access when I was their age, I don't know if I would have made it. If I would have made it, I would have been heavily scarred. And so those things that come against us, and it's not just youth, it's adults as well, because this world continues to challenge us and challenge our faith, and it almost to the point to where we question some things. Now, it's all right to go before God and seek answers to questions. I mean, it's okay to have questions. I have questions. I have questions about some things in this book. I don't know all the answers. And it's okay to have questions and to seek the answers to those things and, and to seek the truth. But what I'm talking about, people get beat up so much and challenged in the world that the things that they once believed in as a childlike faith have now become debatable to the point to where I don't even know what's true. You know, if we're to the point, and there are people out there that they don't even believe in, in, in creation and in, in how God created the world. They don't believe in the virgin birth. They don't believe in the resurrection. And yet they sit in church every Sunday. And, and if you're questioning those foundational truths of our Christianity, then you will also question things such as sexual morality, okay? And, and you'll question uh, things such as um, life of the unborn or whether it's okay to be baptized or not. You, you will begin to question some natural things that you once believed. And if we are to believe what this Bible says from cover to cover, and if we are to believe it and live like we believe, we've gotta believe every single bit of it. Now, again, we may have questions, and you can wanna seek those answers to those questions. But when we are questioning the validity of God's word and with very important things, then um, we've, got some, we've got some searching to do. We've got some searching to do with our heart and line, make sure it's lined up with the Heavenly Father. And so that's where the Apostles' Creed comes in. Now, the Apostles' Creed was not created by the apostles. In fact, it was the earliest that Bible scholars uh, say it came around was around 120 AD. And it was really kind of formed through baptism ceremonies. You know, a lot of times when I baptize someone, I will ask a question, have you accepted Jesus Christ as Savior? Yes, I've accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. That's a very important question to ask. And I may ask a few more. You know, I won't ask them to recite the books of the Bible, you know, or that kind of stuff. And there's lots of things that they don't know, and that's fine. But there's some foundational truths that they, they need to be able to be able to say or, or to know, and to not just know, even even believe in their heart. And so that's how the Apostles' Creed came about. The early church, before they were baptized, they would ask things. Do you believe in God, the Father, 
maker of heaven and earth? Do you believe in Christ the Son? Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? Do you believe in the virgin birth? And so they would um, recite those things, and that's how the Apostles' Creed came about. Now, the Apostles' Creed cannot stand on its own. The Apostles' Creed comes straight out of God's word. And the Apostles' Creed is not something I'm preaching. I'm not preaching the Apostles' Creed. I'm preaching God's word. And so as we uh, go through this, um, understand that this, this is not some sort of incantation that if we say this uh, just with our, with our mouths and then automatically we believe in our heart and there's some sort of hocus pocus thing about saying this thing. It's just more about the church, the bride of Christ being unified together to, to, to say a belief. So as I get into today's uh, message on, uh, on the creed, here's what I want us to do. I want us all together to stand, and I want you to look at the screen, and we are going to recite the, the uh, Apostles' Creed together. Here we go. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father Almighty. From whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Okay, you guys have a seat. That was, that was similar to what the early church used to do. They would, uh, historians tell us they would get together and they would just recite these things because what it did, and, and just imagine, the, the church was just forming. Okay, they didn't, they didn't even have all of the, all of the New Testament that was, it was kind of being written and collected and put together. I mean, they didn't, they didn't have all of this, okay, like we have it. And so they, they created this in a way to be able to show people, look, this is what you believe, and if, you, if, if people are preaching something outside of this, then it's heresy, then it's false doctrine. And so they would do that as a church. Well, I talked a little bit last week about, about how, the word believe. I focused on just that one word, believe. I believe, which is the word, that's what creed means, I believe. You know, it's something different between knowing something and doing something and believing in something. Because if you know something, you know it in your head. But if you believe something, you believe in your heart. That is a very different side of, of, of approaching um, a, a, a knowledge or, or a belief system. You know, it's one thing to know something, it's totally different to believe something. Like for instance, I know that stopping by Krispy Kreme and, and chowing down on a half dozen of those, those baby angel donuts melting in my mouth, I know that's bad for me. I know it. 
But evidently, I don't believe it's bad for me because I still do it, right? Now, I don't do that, like, don't think I have an eating problem of going to Krispy Kreme all the time. I might would if they put one in Cartersville, so pray against that. But what I'm saying is that, you know, knowing something and believing something are different. Because here's the bottom line. Believing in your heart always leads to an action. Believing in your heart leads to an action, leads to a step, leads to uh, something else. Um, And also, notice that the creed is not we believe. It's not we believe. I can't believe for you. You can't believe for me. Wives, mothers, you can't believe for your husbands. You can't believe for your children. Okay? Dads, you can't believe for your, your children. You it's I believe. It is an individual choice. I believe, not we. Yes, we say it together, but I believe. So as we move into this, um, this sort of next phrase of this Apostles' Creed, we're going to focus on uh, God the Father. So you have the Trinity. You have God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay? And they all work together. Do I understand that? No. I also don't understand how my microwave works. I just push buttons and it makes things get hot. And if I leave it there longer than five minutes, my popcorn will burn and will make the smoke detectors go off. I know that and that's all I understand. But much like that, I don't understand how there is a triune God and a Godhead of God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit, how they all work together. We see, we see their attributes. The Bible talks about those things. But today we're gonna, we're gonna hang out with God the Father. And, and, and before, or, or as we prepare to talk into this, we need to make sure that there's a balance between God the Father. Because God is all powerful, but he's also very personal. That's very important for you to understand that. Very important for you to understand that. God is all powerful, but yet he is extremely personal. You know, there are a lot of people who approach God in in one of those different ways. They don't really walk with balance. They believe that that God is this this all-powerful and will strike me dead and walks in fear and I just want to hide from God. I just don't want to do anything wrong because if I do something wrong, he's going to like make bad things come at me, all right, like the plagues or or whatever. And so they they have this this sort of fear of of God so they, they just don't even talk to God or some people treat God like, hey, you know, he's my homeboy, you know? He's just the dude, right? So, hey, God, what's up? And so this sort of nonchalant, this sort of very, very extremely casual approach to God and that sort of thing, you know, we've got we've to have a balance. Yes, God is a God who's all-powerful, but yes, he is all-personal. And if we're going to get into some of these attributes of God, the Father, but understand that he is is all-powerful and yet very, very personal. Um, some people believe in sort of a, a deism of God, okay? We don't believe that God created the world and he's like, all right, you, you guys have fun, eat, party, die, and, you know, have fun. 
And I'm just gonna go over here around Venus and Mars and you know, hang out a little bit and I'm not really gonna be involved in this. Okay, that's sort of a, a de, uh, deistic or deism approach to understanding God. We don't, we don't believe in God and that, that's, that's not what the Bible uh, teaches. Uh, there are some people out there that, that just believe that, that God is just love. God is just, just all love. Yeah, God is love. And his love, you cannot understand. I cannot understand. But there's, mo- but there's more to God than just love. Meaning, there are some people who claim, you know, God, God would never do something like that to somebody because he's love. You know, he would never send somebody to hell. You know, they're, they may not have accepted Jesus as Savior and, they're, you know, they're make, maybe making some some bad choices, but you know, they've never like did the big sins. Why would God send someone to hell? He wouldn't do that. Well, first of all, you're right. He doesn't send people to hell. We do that on our own. We do a pretty good job of that. And just to remind you, hell was not created for us. It was created for Satan and, and his demons. It wasn't even created for us. We were not designed to, we were not created or made for hell. We were made for heaven. But then sin came into the world. We mess up. You probably sinned this week. Shake your head if you've sinned this week. If you're not, you're lying. All right, good. We've all sinned this week. And so sin comes into the world, okay? And because of that, we are destined to hell. But hey, there's a, there's a way through God's love. He provided Christ and so on and so forth. But there are, there's a belief out there that people think that God is just all loving and there's no, God would never send anybody to hell. Let me tell you, you know, God is a God of love, but he's also a God of wrath. And it's important that, that there's a God of wrath. And you would, you would want that because if you're his child, if you have accepted Christ as Savior, you are the child of God. Your spirit is a child of God. Then, then you want him to have some wrath in your life, not, I mean, not necessarily against you because that's not fun, and we'll talk a little bit about that attribute, but God is, is, expresses holy, righteous anger against the sin of this world, and so you want the wrath of God. You know, I, I consider myself, a, I mean, a pretty nice guy. I'm a, I'm a pastor. You know, I, I talk to people and stuff, but let me tell you something. You hurt my wife, then I'm going to do everything I can in this, with this body to make you into a pile of blood and flesh. Everything I can. And I will be glad to go start a prison ministry <laughs> there, serving time because of what I would do to you if you hurt my wife. That's the wrath of Frank. Don't laugh too hard. But, there, you know, why is that? Because I love my wife. And same with my children. And so you want a God who is loving, but you also want a God who has a side of wrath to him as well. So as we get into, um, into what a father looks like, I'm going to be just a little serious here, just for, just for a moment. You know, some of you 
have a difficult time looking at God as a father because you're looking at God the Father through the eyes of your father. Now, there are probably many people in this room who had great fathers, you know? I, I, I try my best to be a great dad, and I mess up. When I mess up, I apologize. Just a couple of weeks ago, I had to write a note to one of my children because I overreacted. And they accepted my apologies, and we went and had a Chick-fil-A shake. It's all good. But, but you may be looking at God the Father through the eyes of your father. You know, my, and I've shared a little bit of this before in the past, but my father um, left me when I was very young. Now, later on in life, I got, to, I got to meet him and just a few weeks before he died of cancer. But his name was Frank Edward Mosley. And so he left me and went and started kind of, you know, a new family, got married, and I eventually met my, my half-sister, and she would tell me horror stories of, of what Frank Edward Mosley would, would do to her. And it's not good. And, and she is, she's living a life right now as a result of what her, her father did that, my biological father. But in step, my, my stepdad, which I consider my dad, he's been my dad since I was, he's always been my father. And so even before I turned two years old, so he, he's always been around. And so Rick Lynn Bennett sort of became, I mean, became my adopted father, but he's been my father. But even, even my dad, Rick Lynn Bennett, you know, he... He, he's not perfect, and none of us are perfect. And so, you know, there, uh, you know, there are times when, you know, I wish that he would come to, like, baseball games, you know, or I wish that he would, you know, he would have come to uh, concerts that I was at, you know, that I was singing at or playing in or that sort of thing, you know. But he just wasn't that of an, an engaging of a father, now, he never mistreated me. He never abused me, and I'm very grateful for that. But sometimes, when I look at God the Father, I'm looking at it through the eyes of, of my dad. And so, sometimes, when I approach God the Father, I gotta make sure that I don't look at him through my dad's eyes because God is not like that. And so, you may have grown up with a father who is absent, you may have grown up with a father who was very abusive, maybe demanding or controlling. And so it, it could be hard to, it could be difficult for you to approach God as a father, creator of heaven and earth, and uh, into a positive light. So what does God the Father look like? What does God the Father look like? I've got a few attributes and, and uh, uh, plenty of scripture. So let's walk through this together. So we, these are pulled from God's word. So uh, number one, his, his patience and kindness never runs out. His patience and kindness never runs out. 
My kids and my wife will tell you that I'm not an, an incredibly patient person. I'm not, okay, we got to go. Come on. And my patience runs out all the time. I hope that my kids, when they look at God the Father, they don't look at God the Father through me and just think that God, you know, is impatient with me. Because let me tell you something. God is extremely patient and kind to you, and it never runs out. Look at Psalm 103, verse 17. You have it on the screens. It says this, but from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children. And, and Psalm 106, verse one, it says this, praise the Lord, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his love endures forever. Forever, it never runs out. Look at Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far that he has removed our transgressions from us. That means that God the Father never holds a grudge. Isn't that wonderful? That God the Father never holds a grudge for something you've done? You probably know people that still have a, a grudge against something you may have done to them. God the Father He's not like that. So his patience and kindness never runs out. Here's another attribute. He is always approachable. He is always approachable. You know, um, I, would, I would say I try to be approachable, but sometimes my busyness doesn't allow me to be approachable. And so there may be, be, be some dads here in the room. You may be approachable, or maybe you're like, I got to work on that too. But, but God the Father is, is extremely approachable. He's, he's, never, he's never had a bad day. <laughs> he, he's never in a sour mood. He's never too busy or distracted to hear from you. In Hebrews chapter four, verse 16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Maybe your dad had the chair. You grew up in a house where you had the chair, dad's chair. Maybe some of your dads have the chair, right? This is my chair, okay? If you ever grew up watching all in the families, you know, some of the old folks, you know, Archie Bunker, you know, he had the chair. Don't sit in his chair, me dad, right? Those who know the show. And so you always had, you know, he had the chair. And so... Maybe to some of you, your father, that chair was very approachable. Or maybe it was a chair that was not approachable. When I'm in this chair, don't bother me. But let me tell you, when God's on his throne, his throne is very, very approachable. So his patience and kindness never runs out. He is always approachable. Here's the third thing. You will never have to earn his love. Y'all, this is so, so so important to our belief of who God is. Again, knowing that God is Father and believing that he is Father and these attributes that's in the Bible, believing are two different things. When you believe that you don't have to earn God's love, then you're gonna have a life of freedom. But when you just know that God is God a Father, you're just like, 
bouncing around, trying to do things to please him because that's what you think you need to do because maybe that's what you had to do with your father? Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, while we, we were still blowing it, while we, while we were not measuring up, while we were obvious to him and his love, he sent his son to die for us. You will never have to earn his love. You can't. You can't because it's already there. He already proved it. We never have to earn his love. I know that's a different way of thinking. Number four, because you never have to earn your love, his love, you can never lose his love. It's also very important to believe in this attribute of God the Father. You can never lose his love. Maybe there's some here today, maybe you've lost the love of your, of your earthly father. You know, maybe, maybe you've done something and your father slammed the door and says, never come back home. Maybe you felt that way. Not so with God. In Romans 8, 38 through 39, this is Apostle Paul speaking. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. No circumstance seen or unseen power, person, action, or inaction on your part can separate you from the love of God. There's nothing you can do. I've told my kids time and time again, I've told my kids time and time again, listen, you could do anything. You could try your best to lose my love for you, but you can't do it. You can't do it. I remember one time, I can't remember which kid it is. They were really young. And I said, even if you were to slap me in the face, you, I would still love you. And they actually did that. <laughs> I was like, all right, we're, we're going there, all right. So, but there's nothing you can do to lose the love of God. I don't care what it is. You had an adulterous affair, yeah, you need to get right with the Lord. Yes, there's some, there's some things you gotta walk through. But God loves you just the same. God loves you just the same. I know that's hard to, hard to fathom, but he does. So you, uh, you will never have to earn his love and you can never lose his love. Next one, number five. He loves you enough to discipline you. He loves you enough to discipline you. You know, we, we discipline our kids in our, in, in our house. You know, you probably, parents, you have probably done the same thing as well. And, and you discipline them because you love them. 
Okay, especially when they were little and they got a little, you know, you know, out of hand and, and they, uh, they did something wrong. They broke a rule, you know, and you, you know, say, okay, bend over, you know, get the paddle out. You know, this is going to hurt me more than it does you. And of course, it's, you know, all a complete lie and, you know, and all this kind of stuff and everything. But, but you, you discipline your kids because you love them. In Proverbs 3, 11 through 12, it says, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves. There's the L word again. As a father, the son he delights in. You know, there, there are people in this room, I have experienced this as well. You've, exp- you've experienced the discipline of God. Of God um, doing something in your life, tripping you up, you know, a little bit to where you're like, okay, all right, I was prideful. Pride comes before fall, and now I'm, I'm, you know, walking with egg in my face. I've got a little bit of humility now, and God brings us at a point to where He teaches us, as a loving Father would teach us. And there are some things that, that we may think is discipline, but we're later, we're like, oh, thank you, God. Like, think of, think of that, that girl or that guy you dated in high school, and you're like, please, God, they're the ones. Please let it happen. And now you're like going, thank you, God. Thank you for not answering that prayer. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Hopefully that person's not sitting next to you. All right. So he loves you enough to discipline you. Uh, Next one, his timing is perfect. His timing is perfect. Um, You know, that's that's my name for God. I went through a study, some of you may have done as well, called Experiencing God, and they go through all the names of God and a couple of the a couple of the lessons. And then what they do something that I've never been challenged before to do until it was like the early 90s and I was going through this and, and, and they said, now what is your name for God? And they ask you to put a name to God based upon how God has revealed himself to you. And how God revealed himself to me, and I wrote this down, he's a God of perfect timing. He's a God a perfect timing because he's proven that to me. And so sometimes when I, when I pray to the Lord and I go before the Lord and, and I'm in my quiet time, I'll call upon you know, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God creator of all things, the God of perfect timing. And it's like something just clicks. God's like, yes, yes. Guys, that's, that's your name that's your name for me. You call me that. He's a God of perfect timing. We see it time and time again. We saw that with, with our land, you know, when, whenever we went through a fast and, and, and um, we did a 21-day fast and, and I was looking at this property uh, over here and off of 4th Street. It just felt like God said, I need you to make that phone call right now. And I looked up and I, you know, tried to find the 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 name and the number and I was able to find that and I called and, and I introduced myself and you don't know me, I'm Frank Bennett, pastor of Lake Point Church in Emerson. We're looking for some future property. 
Got a crazy question. It's not for sale, but would you be willing to sell it? Well, pastor, how did you know me and my brothers and sister just are sitting down at the, at the table and we just decided we were going to put it on the market and then my phone rings. How about that? I know what that is. That's God for timing. Not Frank's timing. Because I'm always late. <laughs> Those who know me. So God, a perfect timing. He does things in such a perfect way. We see this in Psalm 84, 11. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. If you're walking uprightly and you're asking God for a good thing and he's not delivering, it's either truly good for you or it isn't time. Trust him. Trust because he knows. He's a God of perfect timing. The next one, here's another attribute. He knows you intimately. He knows you intimately. You know, we Sometimes we, we don't like for, for people to know everything about us, do we? But God knows everything about us, and yet he still loves us. We like to hide things from people so we don't feel rejected. We can't hide things from God. God knows what you did this past week, but yet he still loves you. But he knows you Intimately. In Psalm 139, verse one through six, very popular passage. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me too lofty for me to attain. And then at the end of that chapter, it talks about how you, you created me, you knit me in my mother's womb. You know every part about me. Yeah, humans, we have these 3D technologies of that, but God already knows what you look like. It's amazing. He knows you intimately. And last, he has your best interests in mind. He has your best in mind. It's natural for humans to be selfish and consider themselves before anyone else. So if you have had a dad who was unselfish and willing to sacrifice his own comfort for years, you had a gift. You had a gift. You know, sometimes my dad would pull into a McDonald's and order something and not get me something. I was like, what's up with that? I guess he's teaching me something, patience. You know, I don't know, you know. Look at Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? You know how he's gonna give us all things in our best interest? In our best interest, according to his will, it's because he proved it by sending his son, Jesus. He already went to great lengths. If he'll do that, imagine what he will do. Matthew 7, 11 says this. If you then, though you are evil, talking to us, 
know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? God is a good God. God is a good father. I know whatever your father looked like, however he treated you, whatever, I know it's difficult to look at God the Father through the eyes of your earthly father. But use these passages of scripture. Get into scripture and look and get to know God. Because if you believe that he is God the Father, your father, then you will live your life knowing that and believing that and living it. Because a belief system leads to action. A belief system leads to action. I believe God the Father, maker of heaven and earth. Do you believe in God the Father? Do you believe? If you do, you'll live like it. You know, I would imagine most people here today have had that opportunity to accept the free gift of salvation from your incredible heavenly father. But I just want to take just a moment, every head bowed and every eye closed. I just want to, just want to make sure that you are going right with the Lord. And if you have never accepted Christ as Savior, that free gift of salvation from your Father, just simply say, Father, I believe you sent Jesus. He died for me. So please forgive me my sin. Please, Jesus, come into my life. Please, Jesus, be Lord of my life. Help me to live for you. And if you're sitting here today and you're, you just have a really, really unhealthy look at God the Father, if you just know God but you haven't really crossed that line to really believe that he could be your Father, just confess that to him right now. Say, God, I'm sorry for looking at you through the eyes of my earthly father. I know my father wasn't always there, but you are always there. I know I felt like I had to earn some, something to my father's love, but I don't have to do that with you. You love me. You proved that to me. And there's nothing I can do to separate me from that love. Just ask the Lord to forgive you. Ask the Lord to reveal himself to you as Father and as Lord. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.